If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Thank you for staying with us on PM Express. Indeed, today we're having a conversation about the ratings agencies and the impact of the assessment of our creditworthiness on this economy. The president has been on the campaign, indeed, uh, as in the last uh, few months since the economic crisis started biting hard against the ratings agencies. He suggested that there's bias uh, against Africa and against Ghana in particular. But is that a myth? Or is that a reality? I've assembled a team of experts, a former finance minister, uh, an uh, analyst of international markets based in the UK, and our own Tua uh, Champon, who will join me with some thoughts on this. But before we get into that, I would have to break the issues down for you. With our own analysis of what we've been trying to assess, to answer the question whether it's a myth or reality, some fascinating findings indeed I'll present to you. In my PMX, which is always brought to you by Cherry Tree Properties and Syntex Tanks. After this short break, we'll return. I'll get into um, the analysis and then we'll hear from our panelists. luxury. What if you could enjoy ultra-luxury in the environs of Sakumono? What if you could have a share of affluence all to yourself? Step into our five-bedroom executive Ohima suite or our four-bedroom oyster asantua space or our four-bedroom plush kukwa unit and discover a whole world of possibilities. It's not just a building, it's a promise of a dream come true. Cherry Tree Properties. We develop spaces as though we were going to occupy them ourselves. Reach us on 0553. A toast to our new college grad who fills us with so much joy. Almost as much as when we're in our RV. Oh, the world is your oyster, kiddo. And ours, too. Now that we're covered with Progressive, Dad and I can hop in our RV anytime we want. Might even splurge on a retractable awning. Look out! Sorry, what was I talking about? Protect your loved one with an RV policy from Progressive. Take as little as four minutes to see what you could save at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. 
At the Home Depot, we have laundry appliances that just fit. From the space you have, to the features you want, to the savings you need. Like a new GE Profile Ultra Fast Combo Laundry Machine that can wash and dry a large load in about two hours. Without you ever having to transfer the load over. Get special buy savings like the GE Profile Ultra Fast Combo Laundry Machine. Plus an extra $100 off. Select laundry sets in store and online at the Home Depot. 6236 but maybe next time, Charlie, you know what? I'd go shine my shoe. Hey! Yo, myself, I'd go check my BP. We going up, never go down, and we stay flat. Open an EcoBank salary account today for a lifetime of benefits. You also stand a chance to win more than double your salary in the EcoBank Double Salary Promo Reloaded from now till July 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Under the supervision of the National Lottery Authority, under the Caritas Lottery Platform. My name is Tina. I am a person living with HIV. I got to know my HIV status after I gave birth and lost the child because of HIV. In those days, prevention of mother-to-child transmission services had low patronage due to fear and stigmatization. Today, many HIV-positive women have delivered negative children. I follow the guidelines and take my HIV medicine called ARVs every day as prescribed by my doctor. This makes me strong and healthy and also prevents me from passing HIV onto any future child. Please, avail yourself of PMTCT services when pregnant. It is the only way to ensure you do not pass the HIV onto your baby during birth or pregnancy. If you have tested for HIV recently and it was negative, test again when pregnant. If you have tested positive, go to the hospital after birth as directed by your healthcare provider. Your baby will be given medicine immediately and tested to ensure baby and mother are well. Let us work together to have an HIV-free generation. Our children must be free to shine. has it that malaria is one of the most deadliest diseases in this part of the world. So, whenever you're feeling cold, feverish, nausea, or fatigue, get tested. If it is malaria, do not worry. I have good news for you. Malaria's remedy. 
is Lunat. Therefore, we're gonna use Lunat to recover. You have malaria? Yes, please. Are you shivering? Yes, yes. You got chills? Yes, yes. Take Lunat. Lunat. First day. Lunat. Take Lunat. Lunat. Second day. Lunat. Take Lunat. Lunat. Third day. Lunat. Take Lunat. Scatter malaria. Lonat, it is scatter malaria. A quality product from Blaze GVS Pharma. Daddy, Daddy, this tank is big. Yes, that's true. It can store a lot of water. That's so true. Wow, it has a working surface on it. Mm hmm. That's so true. I can see S I N T E X syntax. That is so true, my daughter. But it falls down into spoilers. That's not true. But why? Hey! Syntax was the first to introduce double layer tanks in Ghana. Syntax again was the first to introduce white inner layers in Ghana. Syntex gives you the biggest warranty seven years. No matter your water needs, Syntex is the answer. Syntex tank. Are you strong? Are you tough? talking about this very subject. This is very fundamental to economic survival. The ratings agencies bias against Africa. Is it a myth or is it a reality? Why are we having this conversation? Because the president has been on a campaign raising hell about the conduct of the ratings agencies. And we're going to be having a conversation with Dr. Tufeles Champon, who is an economist and a political risk analyst who joins us uh, via Zoom right now. Also joining us is a former uh, finance minister, Seth Tekbe, who himself uh, also experienced quite a bit of the ratings agencies and the work that they've done uh, led to serious challenges for him as well. He's bringing his own expertise into this conversation. And then Mark Bohan, who is the senior credit research analyst with Red Intelligence. All of them joining me right now with insights into this. But let's get into why we are having this conversation. The president and the finance minister have been singing from the same hymn book on this. Listen to the president recently at the Afri Exim Bank uh, you know, conversations in Accra. The AU champion for African financial institutions and leader of a country which recently had to deal with one of the most difficult periods in its post-independent history. Difficulties which were exacerbated by the reckless behavior of rating agencies 
that engage that engage in pro-cyclical downgrades, shutting Ghana out of capital markets, and turning a liquidity crisis into a solvency crisis. So that is the president. Just recently, two weeks ago, complaining about the ratings agencies. And so we've been tracking. Is there any justification for this criticism? I want to go back all the way to 2017 when he first came into office. Keeping them honest. Because the ratings agencies, they've not always been negative when it, came, when it comes to our economy, right? In 2017, when the president came to the office, if you look at Fitch, for example, they started with a, 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 a you know, stable outlook. And then from then, it's been downhill, as you can see on your screen. And, and sometimes negative, sometimes even they, they, don't, they, they can't even rate us um, because of how junk you know, our credit worthiness has become. And that's what you see there. And so it's not always been the case. That's Fitch. Fitch is the worst of the lot. Except that when you come to Moody's, you see that they started in 2020 um, with a positive outlook for us. And, and, and the ratings then was, was pretty good. In fact, it was an upgrade at the time. And that's just before we saw the problem with COVID hitting in, in March of that particular uh, year. And then from then... We've had a downhill as well. So it isn't the case that they have this persistently, constantly over time, um, you know, running down our economy in terms of the ratings and, and giving us this uh, credit wetness that has become a challenge when we go out there to borrow. That's the case with Moody's. And then you come to S&P. Tracking back from 2017, you see a story of a positive, and this at the time was actually an upgrade. And I remember... Um, when this came out at the time, the government issued a statement and they were happy because they had just come in on the back of the, uh, the elections in 2016. They were happy with the, uh, the ratings that they got at the time. It was in the downgrade. It was actually an upgrade. And then, of course, they remained positive, um, stable in 2018, September. And then the negative uh, ratings and assessment began to, to, to bite and then the downgrades began, and it's got incrementally worse in the COVID years. And true, it's contributed to where we are today. But just to illustrate to you that it hasn't always been about downgrades. There was a time under this government when the story was pretty positive when it came to the assessment from the ratings agencies. But what are they? What do they do? They, they are positioned right in the middle here, between the creditors and between governments. If I want to land to the government as, as a creditor. I need to be sure that they can pay me back the money with the interest that I'm expecting. In other words, I need to be sure that this government is credit worthy. How do I do that? I'll go to any of the three big ratings agents. There are many of them out there, but the three is what I've talked about, Moody's, the, the three big ones. I go to them and look at how they're rating that country, right? And that will determine how much premium I'm putting on it, how much risk I'm factoring into it, how, what, what, how, is go, how much is going to cost Ghana, for example. So they are very key. You can't do really without them. If you want to go out there and borrow, the creditors are looking at it. The governments also rely on that. That's what I've illustrated to you. At the beginning of 2017, when the ratings were positive, the government was happy because that meant they were going to get more money. And I'll show you the direct link between the ratings you get and how much money comes in over a period. And so this is what they do in simple terms. They are independent. They assess your credit worthiness and they tell your creditors if they can trust you. It's simple. If you want to lend somebody money, you need to be sure that they can pay you back. And they will do the assessment and rate you. And that rating will determine whether they give you back money 
they, people give you money, they lend to you or not. And for a country like Ghana, we really live on borrowed money. That's why they are so critical in the big scheme of things in our economy. And then you look at the impact that they've had on us. Because at the time when it was really good and the ratings were fantastic, if you look at the ministry's own assessment, they really applauded themselves. And the world really applauded us because we were the darling boys of this. We trailblazers as the first country in Africa to issue a zero-coupon uh, tranche as far as Eurobond is concerned. So this was really positive at the time when the ratings were really fantastic. But this, for me, is a key thing to look at. If we go to 20, 2018, when the ratings were not that negative, in other words, it was positive, the government then, when the ratings were good in 2018, said this about the ratings they got from the agencies, that the ratings rapidly improved due to stability reforms and strategies. So we're taking the credit for the positive um, ratings. And what was the direct result of this? The direct result of this was the $2 billion that came in. Because you can go to the euro market on the back of a great you know, ratings and assessment by the ratings agencies, and then money comes in, $2 billion. This is 2018. If you go to 2019, the story is the same, positive. What did the government say about it? The government said the credit performance has improved with all you know, uh, the, the CRAs, which obviously is the credit rating agencies upgrading or affirming their performance. So again, government was happy. What was the direct result of this? The direct result of this was $3 billion coming in because we've gone to the international market and borrowed on the back of that uh, you know, positive rating. And the government was very happy with that. If you go to 2020, uh, similar story. As I've illustrated before, again, positive comment was Moody upgrades, outlook, S&P, maintain rating. They, this wasn't bad. The government, again, was not unhappy at the time. What was the direct result? It, we got, in the end, $3 billion because people were now, they were okay to give us money because, you know, this wasn't a downgrade. It was, it was stable at the time. And so money came in at the time. But then... The problem then began to creep in. At this time, we're beginning to now show signs of instability in terms of our ratings, and yet it was still okay because this is pre-COVID. Ghana's rating steady, 2021, due to COVID-19 measures by government. And so they were now beginning to see COVID beginning to bite, and yet still we got just over $3 billion from the market. But then this is the challenge then that begins to hit. 2022, 2023 is when the ratings agencies began to really bite and turn the screw on us. And what did we see? Negative. For the first time, after all the you know, positive comments I showed you at the end, what does government say now? The ratings are reckless and not favorable to African economies. So you begin to see the story obviously emerging that, well, at the time it shoots, it was great. Coming through was great. What happened as a result of this? Zero. We went to the market. We've locked out completely from the market. This is the reality as of now. That's what the president is complaining, right? So can you say on the back of it that there's bias or there isn't bias? You can't say that for sure because, as I will illustrate shortly, there have been other research that shows that it has been less than uh, objective. There has been subjectivity in the process. So the president isn't entirely wrong, except that when it had favored us and it had been positive, we've been happy about it. And now it obviously isn't as... As positive. I was talking about the, uh, the UNDP. The UNDP uh, showed us a, a very interesting picture of the cost, the cost of subjective ratings 
on economies in this in the sub the, you know the the sub of the Sahara, the African countries in the sub of the Sahara, and they, they were very clear of the cost: seventy-four billion um, costs to our economies, and you can see that in excess interest that we are paying of twenty-eight billion because of these subjective ratings we are getting and foregoing funding. Funding that should have come in, but won't come in because people look at the ratings and they are afraid to lend us money. They put that together and you are around $74 billion. This is the UNDP uh, putting the cost together. So there's rising cost of borrowing. They talk about decrease in the volume of new capital coming in. So the UNDP study really nails the point about the subjectivities that we find in the rating and the quantified, which is a real hard research, by a credible institution that was done. So clearly there are problems there, right? And then there's this challenge called the Africa Risk Premium. And research have shown that we have you know, around 2.5 billion is priced into the you know, loans that the world gave us because they, they see Africa as a pretty risky area. So they are pricing the risk into it and costing us a bit more. Higher coupon rate is also there as part of that um, challenge of more than 2.1%. They won't charge that elsewhere, but they will charge that on Africa. So these things are real as well. And, and the methodologies have also been questioned. Again, UNDP questioning that are, are too subjective. People, the ratings agencies have all these challenges with the uh, oligopoly that they, they, they put out over emphasis on short-term economic trends. They may even have conflict of interest there as bond issuers. They pay the ratings agencies. Of course, we are paying the ratings agencies. The concern is that they may put out ratings that would favor and increase the cost of, of the, borrow, the money that we are beginning to borrow. This is according to the UNDP. So these are real challenges. But does this necessarily mean that they are biased? And this is a systematic attempt to keep us impoverished or create a scenario where the lenders can profit off the ratings uh, because they will get a bit more as we've seen the Africa Risk Premium, which has been talked about. There have been many suggestions as far as, as, far as this is concerned, including setting up our own ratings agencies on the continent. Let me quickly bring in my panelists to give me their thoughts on this very quick subject. Dr. Tua Champo, I want to start with you. So this, this, this whole conversation we are having today, the President had obviously led it. Is this issue about bias a myth or a reality? It's, it's actually neither here nor there. Um, and the reason is very simple. Um, because I think that the whole idea of, um, quote-unquote, reckless behavior on the part of the ratings agencies, it doesn't actually even exist. If there's any reckless behavior at all, it's actually on the part of our governments. Because um, nobody is forcing us necessarily to go to the markets uh, to, to borrow. So let me take my time to, to break things down just uh, uh, a little bit for the purposes of, of uh, education. There are two studies that have actually come out in the last few months. You've quoted the UNDP one, but there's actually a much more important and fundamental study done by IMF uh, economists only two weeks ago, and the title of the paper um, is, is called Sub-Saharan Africa's Risk per uh, Perception Premium in Search of the Missing Factors. So what they do is they take a lot of countries globally, 107 countries, including in Africa, and they run a number of models and simulations and try to distill and answer the question whether there is this quote-unquote perceived bias. 
Um, and two, two key things stand out from that. The first one is that, yes, it is true that African countries are paying more to um, access these capital markets than other comparator countries. But the reason for that, and this is really the most important part of, of that study, when you distill and you control for additional factors, such as the transparency of our budgeting processes, such as the role of the informal sector in our economies, the level of financial development, and the quality of our public institutions. Sometimes the data we're providing is not consistent. Um, the information that is going to these agencies, there are gaps and all of that. When you put those additional checks in the model, and I want to quote here, their results, so this is from the IMF, shows that this excess premium that is estimated for sub-Saharan African countries vanishes when these structural factors are accounted for in the estimation, right? So it is very clear that there are issues that are driving the bond pricing, and it goes beyond just the financial and the economic factors. There are other country risks, specific political risk factors that are at play that we need to factor into the equation. And once you actually do that, it becomes a very simple equation to solve because what the sovereign risk pricing is doing is basically answering two things, the ability to pay and the willingness to pay. And if you add these two things up in a number of the measures and the metrics, it becomes quite clear that this issue of bias doesn't even really um, arise in the first instance. Okay. Mr. Setepe. Do you agree with that? You were once a finance minister. You also had to deal with the ratings agencies. You agree that the uh, bias doesn't play up at all? Please unmute for me. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. The, the, yes, the one factor which, you know, almost every minister will complain about is the political risk. And that is something that has to do with the fact that there isn't one Africa. And so in our case, sometimes we said, look, we are supposed to be, you know, um, a safe haven as far as possible. Our democracy has, you know, has worked reasonably well. Uh, and so... Um, uh, there's a certain bias which we have often complained about. But let me also state that um, if the, we, we should be realistic sometimes in, in that assessment because often we point to just that one factor. Uh, no country is rated. And if the bonds that we issue are rated, you know, therefore no country, no bond is rated based on only one factor. And that is why, that is why I agree with uh, prof, you know, about we're looking at our own fundamentals. Now, you showed the history. If I go back to 2003, when, you know, we started rating, and remember this was also going into the hippie era before we did our first bond in 2007. We have always maintained a B class. So, B positive, we went down to B, you know, negative, and then if you extend that graph, you will see that it only started dropping and we're in job status. And maybe, yes, often we blame COVID for that instance, but I'll come to that. But we also went through the aftermath of the global financial crisis. We went through the shortage of gas and others to the economy, you know, for 
almost two years, or if not more, and then do so and other. So I'm saying every every country, sorry, every government since at least the Kufuera rather took us into the bond markets, have experienced one shock or the other. And if you look at, you know, often when we face these shocks, we go to the fund for stability, for austerity, right? Uh, if you look at the flows that have come in, yes, nobody disputes that COVID is the severest. But we also got the most flows for COVID, $6 billion, including the IMF $1 billion, loan, SDR, you know, so what did we do? And the most we have often got was below $1 billion. Even the last ECF was $1 billion. So I think that we need to also, you know, look at these other factors. So let me give you some numbers. If you take the economy from 57% mm-hmm. new business, you know, of debt, you know, where you are, you know, plus contingency minus close to 100%, instead of seller performance. If you take a deficit of 6.3, it wasn't 8.3, 6.3, as the minister himself said in a recent statement issued by the Ministry of Finance, and you are hovering at, at times at 13, between 13 and 15, sometimes whether you are counting bailout costs or you are not counting them, things in memos and the rest, that itself is the stellar performance. You know, and if you look at our, the IMF program, you know, we are supposed to attain the sustainability in some years, you know, to come between 55, you know, and 60% of which are there about. This was the range that we gauge for ourselves when we set up the sinking fund. Mm. But the fact is that you can't keep borrowing and not, you know, repay. And remember that our first sovereign bond, which posed a lot of risk to us, we were paying on the interest. It wasn't until 2013, 2014, when we saw the looming redemption in 2017 that we set up the second fund yeah. and we used our own oil revenue to take off 515 million. And that is what stabilized the situation because we will definitely have come to. So, 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 Mr. Tekbal, just to clarify, are you suggesting that the economic challenge we faced recently? is largely or possibly only due to our own doing, not because of the ratings agencies' um, rating. I had begun by saying, even as minister, we did complain about some, you know, what we perceive to be, you know, biases and not. That's why I was very careful to start with that. Mm. You know, and you can go to other, you know, um, other, you can leave the, the, the sovereign bond market and go to you know, other treatments, whether employment or others, and you will see a bias against Africa. There is a bias against Africa. I'm not running away from that fact. Okay, stay, stay, stay with me. I, I want to drill down a bit more into the bias. When you say bias, what exactly is the bias? What are they biased against? Just because we are on this side of the equator, this side of the world, or because our economies are, are, are there's, a, there's a stereotyping of our economy? I'll drill down a bit more with you because you, you also complain. But let me bring in Mark quickly. Mark, do you agree with the assessment the former finance minister is making that, yeah, there, there is some bias uh, in, in, the, in the way the ratings agencies generally deal with Africa? Sorry, Mark, please unmute for me. Okay, 
yeah, I'm, I, I, I can't, I, I can't Martin, can see you clearly, but I can hear yeah, you. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Uh, I'm on mute to that. Uh, yeah, I would clearly say that I think this is mostly a myth, that there is not a bias. I mean, you've had uh, a range of, of different studies, uh, mainly opposing what the uh, UNDP claim in the study. I mean, the, I think that the one Theo took up, is a very important, interesting study. I mean, that uh, just to clarify that is a focus on the euro bond pricing in the market uh, compared to other peer countries. And I think it's worth keeping in mind that uh, credit ratings is often a, often a lagging indicator that the market moves before uh, the credit rating agencies do. So when there is a downgrade or an upgrade. Uh, for most of the time, that's actually already priced into the uh, to the eurobond deals, so it doesn't actually have uh, an impact on bond pricing. So I think that that's one factor that the UNDP study does not take into account. And of course, what they do these uh, ratings is is to uh, is to assess the probability of a negative credit event. So of course, I know the. Ghanaian uh, government was very critical of the downgrades you've had over the past one or two years. Yeah, but, uh, you, you know you had a negative credit event uh, on both the uh, external borrowing, uh, the euro bonds, the borrowing last year. So you can't say that the, uh, and you know in hindsight you can definitely not say that they were wrong in making these downgrades. I would argue that maybe they should have made these downgrades earlier. That. Uh, you know, the, the ratings in 2020 maybe are too optimistic, uh, if anything, because I think if look at the fiscal figures, uh, the borrowing patterns of the government, where Ghana was heading at the time, I personally, I would push against any claim that Zambia or Ghana were pushed into default because of COVID. I mean, these developments uh, uh, with the uh, Excessive fiscal uh, fiscal deficits and heavy external borrowing have been in place for close to a decade, if not even longer. And of course, you know, if you if you spend more of your, I mean, I think the interest to government revenue has been the most important indicator, uh, and that's been steadily rising. And in the so very well in the environment of low developed markets uh, interest rates as you had up in just some two years ago the easiest solutions for government when when uh, your interest costs started to uh, kind of crowd out out of spending was to borrow more but of course that is a self-reinforcing spiral which has been in place for a long time so uh, that's my view on this in, in other words in, a, in other words if we've experienced downgrades over the last one or two years is because it is a reflection of reality. Yes, absolutely. Okay. I mean, I, I, Mr. Tepe, let me bring you back in. You made the point that you, when you were the finance minister, you also had to complain about bias. When you say that, what exactly were you complaining about? When you talked about bias, what precisely was the bias that you had spotted and you were complaining about? Mrs. Again, you are muted, please. 
Yeah, I try to be balanced in my presentation. I cited only one specific example what I said often we would complain about, which is, you know, political, you know, bias. And I said if you looked, our issue was that if you looked at the whole of Africa, you know, we were more stable, you know, and therefore there was some differentiation that could have. I said with the, some of the studies that have come out, you know, I've read some of them, you know, especially the recent fund one and the rest. But remember that I went on and went on to performance. And I gave figures. And I said that despite this, what is perceived to be bias, so remember Ghana has been in the B range. So something must be definitely wrong. Yeah, I, I, yes, understand, I, understand, that, I, I just want to, yeah. I understand that, but I just want to understand when a finance minister mentions bias, what are you referring to? Just so that we have clarity on what that word means in the context of ratings. What were you, is it political risk? Yes, I mean, that's the point. You must, you're not getting well, when, you say, when you say political race, are you referring to the yes. fact that there's a potential I'm political instability? No, I'm saying that there are many indices. So maybe when I say political risk, it's not only with respect to bonds. Mm. When we borrow commercial loans and others, political risk is a factor for which we pay premium. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying that that is often, for me, the main thing. But when it comes to what if you want to be you know, uh, uh, be, if you want to be, to perform and be in a B reader criteria, there are indices, and you must work towards it. And there is no bias there. If you want it to be investment grade, there are criteria, and you must work towards it. Right? Either you accept it and you are in the market, and it doesn't really matter, you know, matter whether it is an African market or not. And let me give you one specific example. You know what I'm saying? We talk about that phrase. You said, yeah. remember the zero coupon? It was a warning, right? Because, you know, we gave up 150 out of 500 for 350 million. That was a hefty amount to forego. And the warnings, it was beginning to tell us. Then we went for our fears, and we had to pay the interest up front. Right? We had to pay the interest up front. Right? So, we again, it was like discounting. You know, even before you go the interest or before you even got the loan. And mind you, the point that, you know, uh, Matt made, we were making it for ourselves, right? From around about 2020, 2021, we started analyzing and saying that interest and compensation was taking away all of what? Mm. It was tax revenue. It was taking away total revenue. Just two attempts. And that meant that the remainder of your recurrent expenditure was dependent on loan. Let alone your capital expenditure and your amortization, assuming you covered interest. Interest is not, if you talk about debt service, it's principal but interest. So these are not biases which we should blame on anybody because we ourselves. He was, you know, very vocal on that. You know, I have said it, and we analyzed it, we had, and we went back and showed it. And by the way, if you take single spine and you take doom so, this was a very risk. And we came out after Sinti and said clearly, which led to the negotiation with labor. Uh, single spine being the, what led to the budget overall. And we gave a warning as a government that we were using up to 70% or so to pay you know, single spine arrears and which is uh, uh, arrears uh, of wages, which is what led to 
instead of borrowing to pay the arrears and the rest, we spread it over a period of time to absorb, to be able to absorb it within, you know, our own. Because by then we were, our debt ratios were going up. So I don't want us to even, you know, focus on the issue of bias because we have had mm. difficulties, you know, ourselves with discuss it. Yeah, you know. I mean, so, so I, I, I guess and we shouldn't be blaming anybody for it. That's the, the point that I'm making. Okay, and so you circle back to that point in the band. I think all of you have that in your submissions, which is that focus on yourselves and don't blame anybody else. But however, uh, Dr. Chua Champol, if that is the case, why then do we have something called the Africa Risk Premium, which has been estimated to cost us north of two billion dollars annually? The fact that you even have that thing means that there is a setting, you're being treated differently from everybody else. Isn't that bias? Isn't that some subjective way of analyzing the thing that doesn't apply to the rest of the world? No, uh, that, that is not. And I mean, the, the, we need to do two things. We need to look at the methodologies that are used to derive this uh, so-called Africa risk premium. Um, and then we also need to look at the data that is um, going um, into that. Look, Mark and I work in the market. We advise a lot of clients. People will come to us on country risk and you know political risk and debt issuance issues. And we're dealing with these issues almost on a on a on a daily you know um, basis. To the point that even myself and uh, uh, you know uh, Professor Bokman, uh, I've been you know doing some work around this same issue of bond pricing and whether there is any, you know, bias or not. It's very clear. The idea of a bias is a myth. It's, it's not supported by any rigorous empirical modeling. Um, so so why don't you have the Africa risk premium? Why, so why, why don't we have that in, why don't you have a, Euro, a European risk premium? There is no European risk premium. If why? You factor in, if you factor in additional variables in your model, the fact that your budget processes in many of our countries are not transparent, the fact that our public institutions and the data they are churning out um, uh, is not sometimes uh, it doesn't it doesn't come out. The fact that you are consistently running your budget and running you know double uh, current account and budget deficits year on year. If you look at you know your interest payments and all these rigidities in the budget. If you factor in all those additional um, parameters in any model, it is very clear because what you're doing is you're assessing whether somebody is going to likely default on paying a loan that you've taken, right? And if I do a very de detailed analysis, that is not really based on just one variable. So remember that the country risk, um, or, sorry, the sovereign risk um, you know, assessment, those ratings are only one parameter in the square or in the scheme of parameters that are used. You showed a, a Venn diagram where you've got government and the lenders and then you put the country risk in there. That's what would have pertained pre-2008-9 financial crisis. Post-financial crisis, a lot of these companies and the people that actually give the money, the investors, do their own detailed analysis. They speak to people like us in the market. They speak to other people, source for additional information before arriving at 
how they price that bond. So I'm saying that if you really do a very detailed objective analysis where you consider other factors that are not necessarily financial or economic, but try to quantify that political risk premium. Um, and not, it's not even to do with elections per se, but you're looking at your budgeting, like I said, you're looking at your public institutions, the data that you're generating, you would come to a conclusion that you know this idea of a risk premium is, 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 is I mean, it, it doesn't exist. Mm. I mean, uh, Mark, so nonetheless, you have two reports in the space of a few months, UNDP very credible, saying there is a bias, there is in fact uh, a subjective assessment that is done by the ratings and then they quantify that to be 74 billion costing the economies. And of course you have the IMF report that says in essence it's down to a lot of the factors that you've, that you've put out. But surely the UNDP would have caught on to part of the problem which is that there is subjectivities in the calculations and analysis that is done by the ratings agencies, the opaqueness of the process is something that was, was amply captured in, in the process, that we as African economies are being shortchanged in the process where we don't even know what real factors the Moody's, the S&Ps, the Fitches are using in rating us. And by the way, the UNDP makes the point. The investors are paying for this to be done. There is a real possibility, and this is the UNDP making the point, that there is bias in there because of who is paying them. Isn't that a factor that we, we can't discount? Thank you. Let me clarify a few points. So I actually spoke to UNDP ahead of this, uh, ahead of this report yeah. being released. So uh, I've previously worked when I was employed at uh, TO where HHS with Yon Ashwin Bongina on our works. I worked on these ratings. I mean, it was very much a very similar rating process. It was mm. essentially copied from S&P and Moody's. So contrary to what you said, the, the rating process is very transparent. There is uh, Moody's. Yeah, yes, they, all, they all publish their sovereign mating, rating methodology, which factors they use. So it's all it's kind of... There is this very mechanical part of the model, exactly what is the data that goes in there. But then there is what they call the analyst overlay. There is a possibility for an analyst to make an adjustment in the score, essentially saying that I don't think this data actually adequately captures what is, an, you know, you have, say, undocumented remittance flows or... Uh, in form of cross-border trade that actually means that this uh, score, uh, this data is actually not showing adequate picture. And what I, when I spoke to uh, UNDP, I took out the, the government's ratings, which uh, as an example, and that's uh, normally the world, well, rating agencies, they use the world government's indicators of the World Bank, a sort of renowned data set on the different monitors on different indicators, if there are six different sub-indicators. And I look at these quite regularly, so I took up what I was analyzing last year's edition, the new next, this year's edition will be released in a couple of months. So last year's edition, you had a sharp uh, deterioration in the scores of South Africa and Kenya, which I think did not make sense to me. I mean, you had a 
uh, risk of sort of political stability, risk of violence in Kenya that did not uh, correspond oh, to real yeah. <laughs> factors. And also in, in South Africa, you had a, I think it was a rule of corruption, a very sharp deterioration, uh, while the sort of general view is, is, is that uh, governance has improved under Ramaphosa, even though, of course, there's still issues. So what I, what I said is, you know, this is the potential where the, uh, uh, where the uh, rated company or rated country, so it is actually the countries in question that pay for the ratings, uh, that they can actually challenge this, challenge the analysts and say, hey, this score, I, we don't think it actually reflects, uh, reflects uh, conditions on the ground. And, you know, have you considered other factors? So, you know, there's, for instance, the Moe, Brahim uh, governance indicators. You could, uh, you could, you know, push for, you know, you could highlight that there's been improvement in this score. And I think there is some leeway to actually, if you make a convincing case for the, to change the, uh, uh, to actually have an impact on the rating score. And what I hear from some of these people working in the rating agencies is, uh, is that they feel that the ownership of African governments in these ratings, the kind of uh, people they bring into the meetings, the amount of data, the amount of work they've done in the interactions with, uh, with the rating agencies, is weaker than other regions. And this is, you could argue that this is hearsay, but I think there is potential for African governments to actually have more input in this uh, ratings. And I, last year, I want to bring up an example of Benin, where uh, they challenged an outlook change. I believe this was a negative outlook change by S&P uh, that they just said, you know, okay, we were S&P announced that they were affirming the, uh, the B plus rating uh, for, uh, for Benin, mm-hmm. but that the authorities were challenging the outlook change. In the end, that outlook remained unstable. So that's an example of an African government that successfully took on the rating agencies and actually made them change their mind. Mm. I mean, Sethiko, what do you say to yeah, that? I, I, what do you say to that? Well, I, I think we are making the same point in a sense. You know what? It's one thing saying that a factor is taken into account in the ratings. It's another thing saying that it is insignificant in coming to the conclusion when you consider other factors, as I've said, mm-hmm. you know, like our own, you know, debt performance, our own deficit performance, as uh, Theo said, you know, current accounts, you know, being at half a month and all those type of things. Yes, so we shouldn't, therefore, as Africans, overplay the issue, you know, of, you know, everything being blamed. That's the point I'm making. And yes, I think Mark is right, as minister. Often, the drafts, you know, will be given to the government, and the government will review it and give its feedback. And we have often, as well, on Outlook and other things, you know, I think we are, you know, it's because the topic is on bias. That is why it's, it's, it's not balanced, you know, the discussion appears to be that way. You know, and often corrections will be made. Often the ratings agencies will stick to their grounds, you know, and, and they will publish the results. And... And our governments come up with reaction. And I'm saying that, you know, if we look at, for me, the most important thing for Ghana is not bias. And I made that clear. I'm saying that as much as I said that there could be some bias. Because we ourselves have been pointing, 
You know, especially since the IMF in Article 4, 2019, made the correction, you know, which we have been making, and, 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 and lifted the, the deficit from 5.7, 4.9, or whatever, you know, 5.3, 4 .9 to 7.0%. That should have been a warning when it started adjusting the debt. And another routine agencies has started adapt, adapting. These were things we were talking about internally, you know, before it came. But Evans, by the way, um, what would be the rating for our own domestic bond market, which we started? Our bonds were housing in Bank of Ghana. Until 2015, when we adopted a book-building approach, right? So less than 10 years, a market, the government market, which was the largest and was today is facing haircuts. What is the rating? Well, we don't have it domestically. It is a factor in our ratings. But go and ask the pensioners, go and ask the pension funds, those who are picketing and the rest, to rate that market today. And I'm saying that, therefore, the solution is not in saying we need an African market. We started creating one. And it was working, as far as I'm concerned, to the extent that we had no residents. Some of those who were buying our external bonds coming to buy our domestic bonds. What is the state of that market today? Facing haircuts and the rest. It should tell us that there is some difficulty with the way we run, you know, our affairs. And not always blame it, you know, on, on externals. So we have a domestic market. We started building a domestic market. That domestic market did not have government bonds. We put the government bonds, you know, as part of, you know, the Mahama administration initiative to put the, the bonds, you know, and they became tradable. Mm. And look at where they are today. Today, we can't even issue those domestic bonds. Has that got anything to do with ratings? Well, that, that, that is a very interesting question. Nonetheless, the complaints remain. In fact, it has been suggested that a way to deal with this is to have an African-centered ratings agency uh, set up by Africans, for Africans. And I'll take a quick break. I hope we would ask. I would ask the opinion of the pension funds and the pension Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do so. And I'll, I'll, that, that's my next question, whether that is a solution to any of the problems that have been mentioned before. But remember that uh, PMSS is always brought to you by Cherry Tree Properties. Desires are wishes. Beauty is a promise of happiness, but passion is everything. Now, thinking about buying a new home, talk to those who build with passion. Sloan Square a new gated community development at Sakumono, uh, developed by Cherry Tree Properties, is uh, one of a kind, well-planned luxury you will uh, you never love to miss. In fact, it is one that you have you, you are never experienced before. You need to call them on 0553-662-366, 0553-662-366, developed by Cherry Tree Properties. A one-of-a-kind, well-planned luxury uh, you've never experience sophistication and class is is what you do also uh you don't want to forget you know in ghana you need water and if you want to store it because a day will come when your pipes may not be flowing you need to call syntax tank right now because no matter your water needs syntax tank has it all uh syntax tank is first to introduce double layer tank and now you can have as many layers as you want uh, syntax tanks is first to introduce white inner layer tanks in ghana uh, we now introduce you to the customer specs order uh, which lets you order any color and size of preferences syntax tank gives you the longest warranty of seven years which no other tank gives you uh, in ghana so whatever your water consumption size of project or demand Choose Syntex Tank. 
We have agents nationwide, so you won't miss us anywhere you are in this country. 0244-335-168. Uh, 0244-335-168. You can call them on that or shop online at syntexgh.com. Syntex tanks, a strong, a tough. And, and, and let's just quickly wrap up. Uh, and so I need to ask uh, very quickly, Dr. Tua Champon, should we have an African-centered ratings agency for us, by us? Oh, of course. I mean, why not? Uh, but it's going to take some time to get that, you know, process going and the ratings that they do um, fully sort of accepted by other players in, in the market. But the point is, even if you had an African ratings agency, what methodology would they be using to arrive at that assessment? There will still be a mechanistic side to the process where you're looking at some economic and financial indicators, and there would also be, you know, the analyst view, you know, on, on top of that and looking at other um, in indicators. So whether we have an African agency, uh, ratings agency or not, it does not necessarily imply that you're going to get, you know, a lower credit risk score and thereby get cheaper borrowings. It's the data and the evidence that should lead us to arrive at, at that conclusion. But yes, for sure, having... An African agency, I mean, why Why not? Uh, it's really, for me, the substance of what the agency will be doing and the assessment and the methodology that would really play the, the, the big role in, in all of this. Mm. Mark, do you agree? Yes. Well, I mean, there are, in fact, two rating agencies that have been bouncing based out of Africa, there's GCR Ratings, which was based out of South Africa, that's now part of Moody's. And there's Bloomfield Ratings, which is based out of, uh, based out of Cote d'Ivoire. And Bloomfield in particular have given significantly higher ratings to African entities than the other rating agencies. There you but have it. There you I have it. That's, that's the solution. Yeah, but I mean, as a rating agency, essentially what you, well, your credibility is everything. So, of course, if you're handing out uh, AAA ratings to everyone, uh, including entities that are at very high risk and that, significant, that later on end up in negative credit events, then yeah, what is the point of having such well, an agency if it, doesn't, if it can't mm. establish the credibility and I mean, if you had a rate, African credit agency uh, a few years ago that given AAA ratings to uh, you know, Ghana, Zambia, etc., what what would be the point of it? Is is okay. my counter question. Okay. okay, Mark, thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, Tech Boy, as well, former finance minister and Dr. Toy Champ. Always a delight hearing your thoughts on these matters. I uh, remember PMS is always brought to you by Syntex Tank LPM, uh, Syntex Tank, and also brought to you by Cherry Tree Properties. Enjoy the rest of the evening. Thank you.